welcome to Conversations with Sports Fans. I'm your host, Doug Hill, and in this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by a former colleague of mine at both the Michigan and National Education Associations, Maury Kaufman. Maury, who recently enjoyed a momentous birthday, is an avid sports fan from the Midwest. Growing up in Michigan, he was a four-sport high school athlete enjoyed competing in intramural programs at Michigan State University during his undergrad years, and continues his active sports life as an adult. Maury's fandom has taken him to an NCAA men's basketball championship game, 19 Major League Baseball parks, and the World Series, NBA Finals, and an NFL playoff game, or multiple playoff games. He is equally passionate about travel, and has used sports as a purpose to travel to three continents, watching tennis, baseball, and even the 2018 Winter Olympics in South Korea. Formerly a member of the NEA's executive committee, Mori is currently a staff member at the New Jersey Education Association, working with higher education members in the Garden State. Mori, welcome to Conversations with Sports Fans. Doug, delighted to be here. Looking forward to our dialogue today. So am I. And and boy, that was the longest bio I think I've read yet. Uh, you have uh, packed quite a bit into, what, 20 years of life now? Is that right? Uh, yeah, yeah, in many ways. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. um, but let's let's just start at the beginning, if we could. Do you have any hint or, or recollection maybe when you first became uh, a sports fan? It's a fun question. Uh, I don't know that I have an immediate recollection of a particular moment. Um, You know, I grew up watching sports, playing sports. It was kind of a fiber of my being from uh, being a child. My father is, uh, still is, and was at that time a very big sports fan. So um, growing up, most of my nights as a child ended by uh, watching the bad boys uh, playing basketball or listening to Ernie Harwell uh, commentate a Tigers game. Uh, as a as an individual, I remember in elementary school uh, trying to uh, a, a very quick attempt of playing soccer. My brother was better at it than me. Um, and then a lot of t-ball. My mother was my uh, little league uh, baseball coach for our team. So I would say from my earliest ages, I was involved with watching sports and playing sports, but not necessarily like a particular moment in time where this is that I recall as as my moment of sports. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think few of us do, um, which is which is all I think it's all fine and dandy. Um, and I just said dandy. So who's the older of the two? I'll give you the trophy. Yeah, you got the trophy. We'll just establish that. Yeah. Um but so is your is your participating now and you're beginning to watch with dad and, and and your siblings and stuff. What is the sport that you kind of gravitate toward first, whether it be as a player or as a fan? Uh, so as, as a player, I would say I enjoy playing basketball the most. Uh, that's pretty easy to me. I still do it today. It's a little tough. I'm in New York City. And so. Um, finding space and time to do it in the city is is tough and obviously very competitive in a highly concentrated uh, space of, of, of human beings. Um, but overall, uh, still do some pickup basketball. I uh, did a few weeks ago when I was in Columbus uh, while I was there helping run a strike in the evening. I uh, went and did some pickup basketball. Um, and so really personally enjoy playing the sport of basketball. In terms of watching a sport, 
Uh, I would divide that a few ways. So the kind of ideal Saturday in my life is waking up at 9 a.m. and watching college game day and then nonstop college football until, you know, one or two in the morning until that last West Coast game ends. Um, when it comes to actually going in person, I would say that I probably have enjoyed tennis the most in person. Um, that is probably just because I feel like you get really close to the actual game itself. I love going to baseball, basketball, football games and the environment of tailgating and everything around it, but you're still pretty removed um, from being right there. Whereas with tennis, you are literally five minutes or five feet rather away from uh, the player. You can hear them make all of their frustration and comments under their breath. Um, it just gives you a sense of really being in the environment. So if it, if tennis is the one you like to see in person, can you um, talk a bit about some of the tennis that you have seen in person? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So so uh, I haven't been to a Masters 500 or a 1,000, um, and I, I think some of this started, uh, I didn't play tennis growing up. We didn't have it in my high school. Uh, my father did purchase my brother and I uh, tennis rackets growing up, so we would kind of go mess around on an open tennis court, but nothing really organized. When I got to college, my sweet mate at Michigan State University my freshman year was the Class A doubles champion for the state of Michigan from Portage Central. Big shout out to John Wazinski, who I'll make listen to this, uh, who now lives in Seattle. But we would go play uh, tennis at Michigan State. He would remind me how horrible I was at the time uh, and how skillful he was, as well as some of my other friends. But in terms of, of watching it, um, I've, I've really watched it on a couple levels. One, my niece, uh, who is in middle school, has taken up the sport. And so that's been fun. I come back to Michigan pretty frequently and watch her play tennis. When it comes to professional, I've gone to every U.S. Open since 2012 here in New York. So that predates me living here by many years, um, with the exception, of course, of the COVID year where fans weren't allowed. Yeah. Uh, I've gone to a French Open in Paris. Uh, I've gone down to the Australian Open in Melbourne. Uh, so, you know, overall, it's been a, a lot of fun to, to watch and go to these major tournaments. Uh, my career Grand Slam won't be complete until I get to Wimbledon, obviously. Um, is that something that you're working on getting to or is it when it happens, it happens? Or are you intentionally trying to get there sooner rather than later? No, no, no. I, I've, I've tried to get there many times uh, already. Yeah. It's a more difficult tournament to get into. They have... Um, for ticketing, they have a lottery. And then as I've come to understand it, we can fact check this later, but I, I believe that they, when they give the tickets, there is some connection to kind of the person who has purchased them. So you can't really just scalp them as easy as you would by going on to StubHub and buying a US Open or an Australian Open ticket. So it is on the list. I put my name to the lottery every year. So to your listeners, Whoever has a Wimbledon seat or an extra seat, let me know. I'm on the next flight with you. We're going to London. <laughs> well, you'll be happy to know that I, too, am in the lottery this year. I For, for S's and G's, um, we'll keep our rating clean and, and not uh, drop an S-bomb in here. But <laughs> I, I just put my name in again this year. This is news to my wife. So, Carol, sorry about that. If you listen to this episode, <laughs> I may right. be going back to London again. Because last year, I, for the same reason I did it when we were – we knew we were going to England and I put in for the, um, the open championship for golf. 
and it got drawn for one of the practice rounds. So lo and behold, yeah. we now have to get to St. Andrews, Scotland to see a golf tournament last summer. So yeah, it made for it. a fun trip and, and good, a good travel. But brilliant. Uh, it's brilliant. Yeah. I'm very happy for you. I saw the pictures, was very excited for you and, and jealous if I can be uh, in full admission here. Well, and, you know, my one of our my regrets from that trip was that where we stayed in London for our first few nights in the trip is the end of the line, whatever the, the tube or the underground was, ended at Wimbledon. And the Wimbledon championships were going on that weekend. And I I should have just gotten up and just rode out just to see it and experience the environment. And I didn't do it. So I felt like I needed to at least put my name in this year to see if I could get drawn. And if I do, then I've got a happy problem to have. <laughs> that that is correct and apparently a travel partner to go with me too I anytime well. more than happy to do it it will happen in my life i am 100 percent confident just gotta just gotta get the ticket yeah. so of the three that you have been to um which one have you clearly you've been to the u.s open the most but which one would you say has been the most enjoyable to to participate in or not participate in but spectate yeah um so that that's interesting. I mean, the the first time I saw Roger Federer in live in flesh and blood was at the Australian Open, and so for me, and we're talking, um, you know, if you if we're talking about Roger Federer, obviously he is you know one of if not the greatest. But um, it was 2011 that I was in Australia for the Open, which meant we were kind of really at the early part of his prime. Uh, mm -hmm. So it was a lot of fun to watch him win. Uh, Djokovic actually won that tournament, if I'm recalling correctly. And there was on the woman's side, Kim Kleisters came back through. Um, but the story on the ground back in 2011, if I'm remembering correctly, was Lee Na was returning after being away from the game for multiple years, I think had a child. And so she moved very far along and I think was the first uh, born in terms of being uh, either from Asia or from China, uh, that was going that far in the Australian Open tournament. So there was a lot of excitement around kind of all of those factors together. Um, I mean, I've got to say overall, like it's a most fun environment at the U.S. Open. And I would say the first two or the first four days are the best because you can buy uh, grounds pass for, you know, $65, mm -hmm. you can be on the ground at 1130 AM and the last match of that day will be at one or two in the morning. So you get a solid 12, 14 hours of nonstop tennis. Uh, French Open is cool, has a lot of exactly what you would expect out of Parisian um, culture. And uh, it makes you appreciate the game a little differently. It's neat to see the game played on clay court. Uh, one of the days I was there got rained out so I could give you a whole different interview about the hassles and the bureaucracy of getting refunded through uh, the, the, the French Open and literally the months and postal mail documents that are required to get something like that done. But um, overall, I got to give it to the U.S. Open. Uh, it's a great environment. It's a great place to be. You get a lot of good tennis and it's electric and Arthur Ashe Stadium is bigger than any in the world. So you get that feeling, too. Yeah. Um, when you go, do you go for, you know, clearly you're going to Australia, you're going to be there for more than a day or two, but I mean, is the, is the goal or the idea for you to see like as much tennis as you possibly can over a week or two weeks, or do you kind of selectively choose, um, you know, the days that you're going to try to get out there to, to be a part of it? Yeah, so uh, it's easier, obviously, here in New York to select the days because I can know who's going to play those first 
the first round and second round for the U.S. Open, I'll buy those tickets as soon as the day they're released because I know I'm going to want to go and I'll see everybody. When it con- when it came to the French Open and the Australian Open, a lot of travel, a lot of coordination. You can't really pick and choose. So would buy the- I bought the tickets in advance for those days. Um, I would say that I did try to take in as much tennis as I could in the window of time that I had, um, while also understanding that I was using that opportunity to travel to a foreign land and explore. So uh, when I was in Melbourne, we also went to Sydney, we also went to New Zealand. So I only had about five days, if I recall, in, in Melbourne, and we went to tennis four of those five days. Yeah. You're so much fun to take the parties for. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Ask, ask the friends who I made go with me who were more excited about Sydney and New Zealand than they were about going to watch tennis. And I was like, this is the perfect reason to go to Australia. Let's watch some tennis. Yeah. Especially when you go in January and it's, you know, summer down there. It's the, it, it, it checks all the boxes as far it as does. I'm concerned. Yeah. It does. Um, now this year, I know we had um, some pretty significant events occur at the U S open. Did you happen to be, um, in the stadium for any of those events with Serena this year? Uh, so not on the, not on the back end of the tournament, obviously. And she didn't make it all the way towards yeah. the end, but uh, on the front end, I was on the grounds. I was not in Ash. I was on Armstrong. So I wasn't okay. uh, literally in the stadium, but even when you're next door in Armstrong, you, you can't miss all of the noise that erupts uh, out of Ash when any great thing happened. And they would even, cut away on the big screens to be able to show you what was happening with Serena. So I was physically present in the venue, uh, but I wasn't actually in the stadium itself. Now, who did you see over at Armstrong? Who were you able to see? Do you recall? Um, So uh, who was it this year? So I think the first one that I saw was Muguruza, uh, who I've been a big fan of and is from uh, Spain. Um, we saw who else did we see? Uh, there were there were. I'd have to go back through and look at the photos. That's okay. Uh, they, all, they all blur together in many yeah. ways. Okay. And then I, I think if I because I was watching a fair amount of that on television this year, but there's a big plaza outside the stadium as well for the people that are on the grounds but don't have tickets. Obviously, they can sit there and watch the event on the big screen and stuff. So it's a, a party atmosphere, I would say, right? A- absolutely. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it's it's not like the. It's not like what is now, I think, the Waste Management uh, 17th hole for PGA and, and Phoenix. It's not that kind of party. It's still tennis with a little bit of class. But um, but it definitely is a venue where you get food, you get drink, you sit there, you watch it. You have the camaraderie with everyone around and you you uh, buy the Honey Deuce, which is the official drink of the U.S. Open. Yeah, What, what the heck is that? <laughs> so it's... Uh, it's it sounds like but is it butter beer? <laughs> it's uh well it's it's a great deal that you can only get in New York. They get to charge you twenty-two or twenty-four dollars for a drink. Uh it's vodka based and I believe it has lemonade, and then they put like a splash of soda and then they serve it um with some uh maybe it's uh it's either grapes or it's muskmelon or something on top. It's uh it's a thing, but you get one every year, you get a collector's cup. I have my shelf full of collectors cup of honey deuces. Of course you do. Of course yeah, you do. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> so so you you also referenced how you you know, prefer to play basketball, and I wanted to go back. You've been in New York now for how many years? About give or take. Uh, so just uh, three, three and a half. 
have you made your way to Rucker Park? I, I have not. I have no? not. Okay. No. Well, is that on your list? Um, it, it is. Maybe not to play, but to just. Oh, okay. Experience. Oh, yeah. Oh, you mean just just to experience? So yes, yeah. I've done that. I thought you meant to actually like try to step on. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, uh, I know. I know you think you're good, Maury, but I'm not yeah. sure you're Rucker Park good. Anyhow, <laughs> right. have, you, so, have you been to Rucker Park? Yes, I have physically been there to witness, observe, and take it in. I have not been, I think, maybe even eligible to step on the court. Yeah. <laughs> what was that experience like to, to watch um, some of the run there? Yeah, so it's it's super neat, right? Because you go in as, as an outsider, you you know of it. As a, as a sports fan, you hear about it. You see all these kind of social media clips. And so you go in and, and it it is everything and more that you would expect right like it's it's happening in front of you it's real life um and so a lot of fun uh, but it reminds me that uh, my vertically challenged self and my uh, getting older self probably doesn't have the skill that i would like to have today i'd uh, be able to join in on some of the fun but uh definitely a, a a real life thing that everyone should should if you're a sports fan you should take some time okay good um and then you said college football on a Saturday. So, you know, we're in the middle of college football season now. I, I know as a Michigan State grad, it's not um, the best of times for the Spartans this year. So we won't go there too much. But, but you just I, did. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. Thanks for the burn. Sure. Thanks for the burn. I, I said nothing more. <laughs> um, but you've you've certainly enjoyed um, over your time, both uh, as a student, um, postgraduate time as an employee there at MSU, and then even, you know, now that you're outside, it's been, uh, you've had some pretty significant occasions, I would say, with, with MSU football and college football in general. What are some of those events or games that you recall and and have enjoyed taking in, in person? Yeah, so um, so a, a lot, I mean, some very positive. Um, so I was fortunate when I was an undergrad my freshman year in Case Hall uh, that part of the setup of Case Hall is you get the James Madison students, which I was one, and they kind of connect you to um, to the athletes, which in my case meant we have the, the football team on my hall. So I built relationships or had friendships uh, with players on the team through all of my undergrad at MSU, which also meant, you know, for away games, they would they always got player guest seats and they'd be like, well, you know, my family, parents can't come. It's commute. Do you want to go? So we would get very, very good free tickets to some of the coolest venues. I mean, I, I remember the first time I walked into Notre Dame and just thinking, wow, this is a beautiful campus. And then, you know, seeing everything feel so modern and being on the square and seeing touchdown, touchdown Jesus. And then going into the stadium, super neat, but the, you would sit down and it's literally, I feel like it was 1930, these old wood benches that could not even fit the width of my body. At the time I'm 150 pounds, wasn't that big yeah. of a guy. Um, you know, but we're four rows off at the 40 yard line um, and, and went to Notre Dame a few times as, as player guests. So, you know, had some some really fun experiences like that. Um, on the other side, I mean, one of the most difficult games, and I, I will just start by saying where I ended, which is me sitting in the bleachers, hands full of tears um down to our our rival and for your audience I'll, I'll censor my language but uh that that horrible place that shall not be named about 45 minutes to an hour south 
of Michigan State University. Uh, my freshman year, we go down, uh, we're watching, the game goes into overtime. Beginning of the day, I would add, perfect, like 75 degree sunny day. Uh, my girlfriend at the time lives on Brown Street, which is right outside of, of the big house. It, it leads right, it's where the U of M band obnoxiously marches through on their way to the stadium. So we're tailgating outside at that house. And uh, we go into the stadium, 75 degrees, beautiful sunny day. It's a night game, or maybe it's a late afternoon game. Uh, but by the time this game is done, this is the one where we go into overtime because we miss, if I recall, a field goal going that would have won the game in regulation. I would also add it was my uh, sweet mate, Dave Rayner, who is our kicker. Um, who shares the exact same birth date as me as well. Uh, so he, uh, we don't get a kick going in, so we go into overtime. And then to, to make this very long story a little bit shorter, uh, triple overtime, Braylon Edwards, all three overtimes, he catches a touchdown in the end zone. And that's how they end up winning in the third overtime is he, you know, they air it out to him. And I'm thinking, man, this guy, can't miss anything. I went in with shorts. I remember very distinctly my Michigan State football white t-shirt. By the time we're done, we're freezing, we're crying, we lost the game. It was just a mess. But, you know, those types of experiences, I think, you know, really uh, kind of to, to bring it to home. I've also gone to other away games, went to University of Miami, went down to ASU, been out to uh, University of Washington, um, you know, really enjoy kind of being the, the, the away visiting team uh, in yep. those situations. Uh, Rose Bowl? You know, I, I, don't, I, I don't know if that ever jived with your time or not. Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, the answer is I should have, but I didn't. Um, I've tried to coordinate over the years to go to our bowl games when they've happened. The challenge that I experience is just that uh, I've, I've traditionally tried to go out of the country over New Year's because I felt New Year's is more of a buildup <laughs> than than it ends up ever being. Um, and so I usually have booked travel to be away and wouldn't want to cancel that. Um, yep. Also, there was a period of time. Let's remember um, when I was going through undergrad, you know, the Alamo Bowl would have been like the highlight of what we could could get into. So it wasn't like there were great bowl games that you would set aside your life to attend. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Have you um, now have you gone to other college football games in, in person besides Michigan State? I mean, do you like I mean, when's the last time you went to a, a Rutgers Scarlet Knight game or a, <laughs> uh, a Columbia yeah. game or something like that? Yeah. 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 So so the answer is, yes, I have. Um, I, I've been to several different kind of random games, uh, also like D3 uh, yeah. when I've been traveling for work. I'm like, oh, what's the local? Oh, let's go watch the game. Um so I have, I, to your specific question, the last Rutgers game I went to uh, would have been like a year and a half ago when they played Michigan State. Um, okay. and I went with uh, an alum of Rutgers just so I could make sure that I reminded him he wasn't going to win and they did not. Um, but, uh, but, you know, overall, I would say that uh, I've, I've historically had to do a fair amount of travel for my work, as I think you yeah. know. And when I would be on the road, that was kind of an outlet for me uh, to go take in a game at a, a um, I mean, this is no disrespect, but like a random community college football yeah. game or a D3. Um, and then some 
some other uh, institutions uh, like a University of Texas um, going to big games. I really need to get down. To, I mean, I honestly want to get to a game in Tuscaloosa just to have that experience. Um, I just haven't done it yet. It, one more thing on college football before we move on. You referenced game day. I would imagine at some point in time, game day was in East Lansing. <laughs> that is and, correct. And did you participate as a fan at the game day site or did you stay home and watch it? Oh, no, absolutely. We we definitely participated. And I don't know if there's any truth behind it. It could just be a rumor. But the story goes that the reason if you've ever been to a college game day uh, setup, so you don't see it on TV, but they have a net that mm-hmm. is around them. And it's the rumor or the story, uh, the tale is that they didn't start doing that until after a Michigan State game day when we started throwing bottles. <laughs> and now I don't know if that's true or not. I don't know if that's a moment of pride we should take as Spartans. But I, I, I don't think based upon the week that you've had as a Spartan, you shouldn't take that right now. Yeah, no. Well, uh, we'll, we'll leave that for a, a different offline discussion because I uh, I went to a, a lot of uh, extracurricular evening events with my friends on the team uh, back in the day, which would be a whole different set of, of fan stories. Um, but as it relates to college gaming, to your direct question, uh, I've done it three times in person. Uh, it is a lot of fun. You get to make these obnoxious signs and have the big, uh, what are they called, deadhead or whatever the, yeah. The, yeah. So, uh, so a lot of fun and, you know, it it is for me, we talk about these commentators. Um, and so I think about, you know, listening to a Kirk Herbstreet commentate, but then to actually see him in person. And at that time you see Lee Corso put on the head garb. Um, you know, I mean, just a lot of fun. I would encourage any fan to do it. We would get up and I mean, you had to be there at like 7 a.m., um, and so you make good, bad, or bad, good choices leading up to your 7 a.m. arrival um, the night before and, and prior to the 7 a.m. start. But uh, a lot of fun and a, a great time. I would encourage anybody to do it. It's it's everything and more than you see on TV. Okay, good. And, yeah, I've, I've taken to watching a fair amount of that this year because my Saturdays have been a little freer than they had been in, in recent times. So it's been enjoyable to watch. and. And I was skeptical of Pat McAfee to begin with, but I'm I'm I've grown to be okay with him being part of it. He seems to add a little something to it, and and you know, sad to see that that Coach uh, Corso is continues to struggle with some health issues. Hopefully, yeah. he'll be back soon. Um, so let's, you know, in our in our intro, we talked about um, the Winter Olympics, and I think I'd be remiss if we didn't touch on that because we have not had anyone um, on yet that I'm aware of that's talked about the Olympics. Uh, this was in 2018 South Korea. Was it Pyeongchang? I think, right? You are correct. What what was what was the impetus for going? First of all, and and what was that experience like? And what types of events did you see? Yeah. So um, the impetus to it is uh, I over my years of travel have been to Korea probably 20 times and have created friends and a network there. In addition, we had a, I have a group of friends kind of across the country. You had to enter into a lottery to get the tickets if you were not a Korean citizen. Mm-hmm. So we played it on both sides. Uh, our friends who are native Koreans who live in Korea uh, in, a, in and around Seoul, 
they actually could buy, I believe it was up to six tickets for every event. So they would, the events we wanted to go to, they would uh, purchase them. There was a couple other kind of offshoot websites that were connected to the Olympics and you would put your name in. And if you got drawn, then you would buy the tickets. So we had um, maybe 15 or 20 people who were going as a, we were all going as a group from all over the country and everyone kind of put in their bids there into the lottery to get drawn uh, to see what tickets we could get. Um, so the impetus was we had friends who were in Korea already. Uh, a group of us had gone to Korea a lot in our life already for, for fun. And in my case, also for work a couple times. Um, and then just the idea that, you know, the Olympics are great. Like everyone who's a sportsman should go to an Olympics. And personally, I don't know why, but growing up, maybe it's because I grew up in Michigan and winter has always been my favorite season. I love snow and winter. And so the winter Olympics always was more appealing to me to watch as a fan, uh, than the summer Olympics. So, uh, all this kind of came together um, through the lottery process and our friends who live uh, in Korea. We were able to get a lot of tickets. I only had about a week um, to be there. So within that window of time, some of the my friends were there for a longer period of time. Um, but for me, uh, was able to actually get out and see uh, the U.S. versus um, well, Russia, but they call it the Olympic athletes of Russia because they were sanctioned for uh, doping. Uh, went and watched some bobsled, went watched some giant slalom, um, some ski jumping, um, and some ice speed skating. So uh, kind of a, all the, the neat things that I would want to see. Uh, really a, a great opportunity. Tickets incredibly reasonable uh, just for the nature of how you get the tickets. And then just being on the Olympic site, you had from Seoul to, I forget, maybe two hour train ride you had to take to get out to Pyeongchang. And then we had to rent an Airbnb, which is a whole process uh, because everything was sold out by the time we decided we should try to figure out where to stay. Yeah. Um, but uh, but a really a lot of fun and neat experience. Not sure I'll be able to do it again in my life just because it takes kind of so much to make it happen. But really, really feel lucky to have been able to take in an Olympics. Yeah. Now the U.S. Uh, athletes from Russia or whatever, was that hockey? Is that what you're referring to? Well, so all what, of, what was all, yeah. So all of the athletes that yeah, were representing knew, knew, Russia yeah. were OAR, the Olympic athletes of Russia. Yeah. Um, but we actually got to go to the USA, Russia, uh, hockey yeah. game, men's hockey. Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask if it was men's or women's as well. So, men. okay. Yep. Yeah. Um, what was your, hard to say because they're like you know your children i suppose but what was your favorite event that you were able to be to or maybe what was the most surprising that you went to that you weren't sure you were going to enjoy or how it was going to play as a, as a fan but that you walked away saying that was pretty darn cool yeah so i think in terms of the environment the the hockey was easily like kind of the rowdiest um yeah. and fun. i think the one that surprised me the most was giant slalom um, I guess I didn't quite expect it. There was also a little unique situation where North Korea was participating and they had like a, I don't know quite how to describe it, kind of an orchestrated or coordinated cheering section that was from North Korea that was there. And so they, I don't know, maybe 50 to 100 people in the stands, but it's not as if they were all wearing the exact same thing. They all cheered and said the exact same thing at the exact same time. It was like you had 
um, a cheerleading squad that was in competition doing everything very coordinated. Um, so that was just unique to see. Um, I guess I didn't expect the hill to be as massive as it was. Like it's, it's big. <laughs> and um, so watching kind of all of that play out was, was a pretty neat experience. Um, you know, overall it was unique because there really weren't that many Americans there, I would say. Um, and we, like good old Americans had to be obnoxious. So we were dressed up. I mean, my my uh, one friend was dressed as a hybrid of uh, Uncle Sam with like a Duff beer mug from The Simpsons. Uh, I was in a USA onesie made for adults uh, in the winter. Uh, so we would, you know, just kind of, we had our USA flags and everyone, you know, had our face painted. So it was a lot of fun. Uh, um, to be there and kind of have that American pride as athletes. Um, I think the one thing that was odd is uh, my friend who was dressed as Uncle Sam when we were at bobsledding, uh, he got interviewed by the local media because they're like, oh, you must be the voice of America with your outfit. <laughs> and he was probably the last person anyone should want to interview. Um, but we, we, we was, he was on national news. Uh, in Korea uh, with his attire. But uh, we had a lot of fun. It was a really, really cool experience. And of course, I should add that, you know, the sports for the most part, I mean, obviously things like hockey and um, speed skating, you know, there there are some professional sports that you get outside of the Olympics. But, you know, a lot of these sports aren't, aren't really spectator sports in a mainstream sense. So yeah. it's just neat to kind of be there and and, and take it in. Sure. Were you able to see any medal ceremonies of any sort while you were there? Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. So, I mean, they, um, <clears throat> they, they're kind of happening and that was maybe a little bit of a surprise. I hadn't really recalled it till I was there on site, but you know, the medal ceremonies are happening throughout, right? So mm -hmm. when you're done, you know, it's not like you have to wait for, as long as you're at the finals for bobsled, you know, for example, the medal ceremony is going to happen right there. So it was pretty neat. Um, to kind of see that happen, uh, you know, when bobsledding happened, not to go back to it, but you, you think of cool runnings your, your yeah. whole time, oh, yeah. and, you know, watch that Jamaican team uh, really, really do a run. But um, yeah, so there were, there were also ceremonies that I would say, even just like walking through the different facilities, I think they had three or four different sites. They project them on the big screen, even if you weren't necessarily watching them. So, but you're still, you feel part of it. Um, just because it's happening at the same time. And we also got to walk through Olympic Park, which was neat, and visit kind of the embassies of the different uh, countries that were represented. I don't know enough about Pyeongchang to, you know, be dangerous even, but how big of a metropolis or, or city would that be? It's not. Um, it's not. It's uh, um, in a relative sense, I mean, between uh but between going to from seoul getting out there by train it almost felt in my michigan days as if i would have taken a train from blanchard michigan where i grew up to detroit right like yeah. we're like oh and maybe in the middle we you know you hit uh not even the size of a lansing uh would what i say pyeongchang is i mean i don't actually know what the literal population is but in terms of a feel of a community it, very, very small, not much happening there, uh, but just the right geographic venue to be able to have the different events that the yeah. Olympics compel. 
and and the reason I asked that is a couple of summers ago, we were traveling through um, New Hampshire and Vermont, and I went over. We, I wanted to go over to Lake Placid just to see it because that was me, 1980. That was like you know my wheelhouse. Have you been to Lake Placid? I have Ever? not. No, I mean that is just such a small little and and I'm sure Pyeongchang is not. I, I know it's not Seoul. Um, it certainly it wasn't Beijing where they were this year or kind of were this year um, or this past year. But but Lake Placid to me, I, I just marvel at the fact that this housed a Winter Olympic game. And I to me, you you talked about always being more of a fan of the Winter Olympics, and I think that's part of it is that it didn't seem to be in these large places, um, you know, not 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 a Montreal, not a Los Angeles, not a Munich. It was you know in these smaller places like Albertville and Lillehammer and Sarajevo and Lake Placid, and then the sports are things that you don't see all the time. I mean, you know, the other things you're in the summer, especially are more traditional spectator sports. So there was a little in, intrigue, I think, in the fact that it's in these little small run-of-the-mill you know, types of communities. And I, I hope we don't lose that. I think the next winter games are in Milan, if I'm not mistaken. And I'm, I don't know, I don't know Italy at all, but I'm, I'm guessing Milan is not a small uh, town or, or a, even a Pyeongchang. It's going to be, I think, much bigger. So. Yeah. And I think, uh, so it was pretty neat in Pyeongchang. So the other thing is, uh, you know, they have kind of a local community culture because it is pretty separated from the idea of Seoul, which is obviously the big, um, and Jeju Island, kind of the big places that people go in Korea. Um, so, you know, you they have like a local soup. Uh, I apologize to anyone I offended. It, it's not called a soup, uh, but I would describe it as that, uh, that everyone has to kind of take it in. It's their own local kind of farming community. This is what's pure. Um, so it is, it was a, a pretty tiny place um, in a relative sense. It, it is not a Beijing um, so it did make it almost, in my view, a little bit more fun because of all the times I'd been to Korea, I'd never kind of gone out to the country uh, yeah. and let alone go out to the country side to watch, you know, the greatest sports uh, happening in the world. So uh, just just a lot a lot of fun happenings at the same time. Nice. Um well, we had a lot of other things here at the top when we introduced you. Um, NCAA basketball championship game. Do I, am I correct in assuming that that was a Michigan State game, or am I incorrect in assuming that? No, you are you are one hundred percent correct. That's when they were at Ford Field in Detroit. I was uh, there as well. Yeah. yeah, and unfortunately, if if you recall, uh, between Ty Lawson and Tyler Hansborough, the game was over within like seven minutes. Uh, I think we were. I remember correctly, I think it was like 22 to seven or 22 to eight. And that was, you know, we tried to inch back, but they were in control the whole time. And Tyler Hansborough was just such a aggressive beast down low. Ty Lawson, you know, just moved around. You couldn't touch him. Uh, so, so yes, that was it. It was a lot of fun to be there, uh, but a disappointing ending. I, if I remember, I think they, if the, I used to have a poster up on my wall, but I believe the the final score was like eighty nine to seventy two, uh, but it was really their game the whole time. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I mean, after the I was at the semis as well, and that was fun. I think Michigan State played Connecticut, if I'm not mistaken, right? And they had the big seven footer in, in the middle, yeah. but Michigan State was able to neutralize him, and that was a you know exciting game. But yeah, it was a bit of a, a letdown, a buzzkill yeah. on on a, on a Monday night. Then um, you referenced NFL playoff games. That certainly didn't happen in Michigan. So where the heck did you see it? 
NFL playoff games. <laughs> no, actually, uh, we, we can talk about any other games, but I'm going to take <laughs> you back to actually Michigan. Yes. So the last time the Detroit Lions won uh, a playoff game was in 1992 at the Pontiac Silverdome against the Dallas Cowboys. Now, I was there. Um, I was a, a ch- young child. I was going to say, um, were you even out of diapers at that point? So it was actually the first NFL game I had been to. I was, wow. uh, I was, so you're to blame for the Lions for the last 30 years then, right? Well, so, so here's, here's the interesting part, Doug. Um, so my two oldest brothers were born in Texas and my brother, Dave, his whole life is a rabid Cowboys fan. Sorry to everybody else. But what that meant was I was actually raised as a Cowboys fan in full admission. Um, and so when I was in middle school, I went down to Texas, did a tour of the old Texas stadium. I have this great photo of me as a kid standing on the star in the middle of the field. Uh, I loved the Cowboys. And this, of course, was uh, the Troy Aikman and Emmett Smith days. The only sport jersey I owned and wore growing up as a young child was an Emmett Smith 22 uh, jersey, which I still have at my mother's house. Um, and so I was in fact at the Pontiac Silverdome for that game. And it was because my oldest brother had said, listen, uh, we're sports fans. You're going to be a sports fan. You are a cow. Like he was directing me. You are a Cowboys fan. We are going to this playoff game, no matter what. And, and uh, that did not end well for your brother. (laughs) Well, it was, it was, um, it was a big thing. So we didn't have much growing up. So the fact that he was, uh, providing me a ticket to go, and the whole family went together. It was just really a, a neat experience. Yeah, I was I was there as well. Um, it was it was a, a very cool experience, and sadly, we have to say that that's the only Lions playoff win in the but history I mean, of the, the playoffs. The question is, do you take Emmett or Barry when you talk about the greatest? I mean, everyone wants to talk about it being Barry Sanders, but who who won that? Who won the games? Well. Who won the Who won that game? Barry Sanders. Did. Wow. Who won the games? And when they mattered, it was it was Emmett Smith. But you know, I, I don't know. I mean, you probably didn't hear the news from recently, but there will be a Barry statue now. The first statue ever at Ford Field will be a Barry statue. So I, I think that's richly deserved as well. So, um, any other playoff games, or was that it? Was that the the one and done? Were you one and done? Yeah, NFL that was, I've been to many NFL games, but that is the playoff game that I would okay. want to highlight to your attention for sure. Okay um world series which which world series or world series is yeah so this this uh would again stick to my michigan roots this would be back to to baseball uh and so that would have been um what was it 2006 i believe is when yep Mm -hmm. 2006 verlander was on the mound i think it was game one uh Interesting because right now we're watching Verlander on the mound last night. Still look like a stud, twenty you know, um, 15, 20 years later, um, except with a different team. But uh, went to went to uh, that game, just one game uh, of the finals. Went actually to several playoff games. My friends in East Lansing, after we were done with undergrad, we still live in East Lansing together. And so a few very big sports fans, including myself, uh, for Tiger Baseball. And so when that happened, you only have one choice, and that's to go. We got some uh, lower lodge seating uh, in the chairs where they come and serve you your drinks and food uh, and watch Verlander uh, pitch pitch a great game. I 
we we lost, <laughs> if I remember uh, correctly. I, I think we lost um, pretty handedly in that game, uh, but um, it was it was a great experience to be in in the park for it. Yeah, yeah, it, it was nice to experience that again. I was not able to go to that one. I went in 2012 in Game Three when they played San Francisco, and and much like your experience, it was a colossal dud. The highlight that day was seeing Frank Robinson present uh, Miguel Cabrera with the Triple Crown award yeah at that, at that game um what else do you want to do i mean you, you've you've accomplished quite a bit in um a pretty short amount of time but what else is left on your list what what, what would you like to get to or <laughs> whether it be event or venue yeah Wimbledon, so obviously um, i'm sorry i cut you off go ahead no no you're good i mean i i think you know venues i i don't necessarily hold out as kind of what i'm pursuing to get necessarily to a, a venue Though, of course, there's a lot of history. Um, I, you know, this past summer, I was fortunate to play in a 30 and over league in Cooperstown and actually played on Double Day Field. Um, you know, so when you think about kind of history and uh, venues you'd want to play in or be at, you think about the Lambeau Fields uh, of the world. I, you know, I think there are a lot of, um, you know, unique places that I haven't been that I certainly could go to. For me, I usually focus on the event. Um, and so I've never really been a big soccer fan, though I've gone to some uh, soccer matches, some events, um, been out to Seattle Sounders games. I've been When I was uh, living in Thailand back in 2004, uh, went to some different soccer events there during travel. But I think something like a FIFA World Cup, an actual uh, World Cup uh, uh, tournament would be a really fun and unique opportunity to get to. I grew up as a big boxing fan. Boxing was also something my father uh, and family always watched. These are back in the, you know, of course, the Tyson, Holyfield, Lennox Lewis days. Um, you know, it got a little bit boring. Klitschko was fun to watch, but just because he was slow and you knew he was eventually going to beat you. And now, of course, now his brother, um, who was also a champion in his own right at the time, but is involved in Ukrainian politics. So that's been an interesting connection. Uh, my my uncle, um, my, my late uncle was um, uh, it, from Flint and Chris Bird, who was a heavyweight boxer mm -hmm. from Flint. Yeah. Uh, they were very, very close friends uh, when my uncle was living um, before Chris, I believe, moved away from Flint uh, for a period of time. I don't know if he still is, but in Floyd Mayweather being from Grand Rapids, um, Floyd Money Mayweather is uh, maybe not always the best political uh, image that people want to have, but uh, he, you know, I think gives some some credence. I think his first official boxing match, or one of them, would have been at the the Powell Boxing in Owasso, Michigan. Uh, we've been up there to do some boxing, and uh, they talk about it as kind of folklore almost. So, um, you know, so I think a big a big fight uh, would be neat. I'm here in New York, so Madison Square Garden seems like. I was going to say, do they still have? I'm assuming they do still have championship fights at MSG. Yeah, they, they have kind of everything at MSG, and it's yeah. amazing how quick day to day they have to flip it. I mean, I've gone to uh, a Westminster Dog Show at uh, for dogs. I would call that a sports fandom. Uh, yeah, at, we have to. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, in, in so I've done that. I've gone to Knicks games. I've gone to a Rangers game. Um, but yeah, they still have fights there. I think it's just, you know, there's a lot of regulation here in the city. So they 
have to kind of plan it all out and everything went silent during COVID. So I think it's just this rebound from all of it. Yeah. Well, what is the, I mean, you, you brought up MSG, uh, Madison Square Garden, I'm sorry. Um, what is it like to be in the, uh, the greatest you know, sporting venue in the world? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's the greatest morning. Maybe that says I'm I'm not truly a New Yorker yet, right? Uh, I'd much rather go to City Field and watch the Mets play than go up to the Bronx and watch uh, the Yankees play. So maybe I just haven't acclimated yet. But, um, no, I mean, it's right. There's a lot of, of history. And so you have to appreciate it when you're there. And growing up as a fan of NBA basketball, I mean, I remember watching Patrick Ewing and every joint he had uh, in a brace <laughs> and, and John Stocks and, you know, watching these. And then I remember Alan Houston, you know, being one of the highest paid players in the NBA, but on the IR for years, if I remember correctly, with the Knicks. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's cool to me, not so much because of the venue, but it's about what the venue embodies, everything that yeah. has happened there, um, you know, watching all of the the famous people be in these courtside seats, uh, you know, but I've been lucky enough to be out to the Staples Center for 10 or 15 uh, Lakers games over the years and watching kind of that same um, environment happen. Certainly in New York, they're, they're much more intense sports fans in comparison to a place like LA. I mean, it feels like it's, it's a place to see and be seen more than, you know, in New York at MSG, yeah. like, you're here because you've got a sport. We're going to win this, and it's going to get ugly. I mean, a Rangers-Devils game, a lot of fun uh, to go watch. <laughs> um, now you kind of um, guffawed at the thought that uh, Madison Square Garden is the world's you know, greatest sporting venue. So what would you say is from your experience? I mean, it's obviously got to be Breslin, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, the right answer would have been Jenison, I think. Uh, yeah, well, that would have been a better answer. Yeah, but that uh, that even predates uh, my being. That was where we would uh, go, kind of mess around when the March or intramural. You play, you play intramural there, right? Probably. Uh, so they did a couple of games there, but most of yeah. them were in IM West and IM East, okay. the new facilities. Yeah. yeah. So uh, they did indoor soccer. Uh, was at Embroom Ball. For intramural sports, that was at Jenison. Um, not not so much basketball and and uh, other sports. But in terms of venue, um, you know, I mean, I guess I don't know precisely what would be. I, I think a Lambeau Field in the dead of winter, which I might not um, have the tolerance to endure anymore. Um, but I, I think that just kind of embodies uh, the rawness to me of of what sports. Uh, is about and obviously a lot of history. Uh, I've been to Fenway uh, several times, uh, which is, I, I think, a really um, historic place to be where it's located, being in that venue, everything that's happened um, at Fenway. So I, I would put that right up there um, for you know the venues that people yeah. need to be at historically. Okay. Um, and, yeah. Before I forget, you talked about World Cup. In 26, it will be in Canada, the U.S., and Mexico. So is that on your to-do list, or do you feel like to enjoy the World Cup, you really need to go somewhere else in the world, or are you going to be okay with it being here in North Yeah, America? so it's a, it's a I will absolutely do it list, meaning okay. I will be at one of, unequivocally, I will be there to say I can do it. I almost feel, however, it's like cheating. I'm waiting for it to come to me. I need to go to a Latin American country watch it uh, in real life and kind of take everything that the sport embodies. 
I think they're trying to build it up here and they're doing a pretty successful job piece by piece, but it's just not the same environment here as it is in many of our, you know, Latin American countries and Asian countries. Okay. Um, anything else or any, any other must do's or whatever? I mean, how, heck you've gotten the Westminster dog show checked off your bucket list. So you're much further along than I am. And, and, and I've got easily 15 years on you. So, yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, um, sports are just a critical element of my life, right? It's, it's a part of who I am. So I, I do see things like the FIFA world cup coming up and I tell myself, Oh, you know, you have to do this. But I also just know as a part of living, I will naturally go to different sports. I mean, uh, I, you know, we haven't talked about it, but grew up a big wrestling fan. So went to like WWF events, um, and still a quiet fan of WWE <laughs> and guilty pleasures on a late night where I don't have anything going on. Uh, been to a Ryder Cup, so I've done some PGA yeah. Tour stuff uh, that's been fun. You know, I'm not I'm not sure exactly you know what it is. I haven't been to a Super Bowl. I could tell you a whole story. I was supposed to be going to a Super Bowl that got canceled. Uh, the, our our trip side of it got canceled, but um, you know I think obviously something like a Super Bowl, going to a FIFA World Cup. Uh, now that they have NCAA um, football playoffs, would like to go to that, go to like an SEC championship game uh, in person down there. I think those kind of are my are on my to do list and Wimbledon when you take me. Yeah, well, um, yeah, I'll take you. You're going to pay for the airfare. So Mrs. Hill's happy. And then I'll I'll pay for your tickets while we're there right, and all of your that's, in your per diem, right? Okay, that's a trade off. Very good. Hey, Maury, this has been a, a real pleasure. Thanks for uh, talking sports with me and and sharing um, you know, a bit about your journey as a sports fan. It's been great. Lovely chatting with you, my friend, and uh, wishing you all the best. Thanks again. All right, thanks. Conversations with sports fans is a production of the Sports Fan Project. Our theme music is, fittingly, entitled Wooden Championships by Lobo Loco. Please visit our website at thesportsfanproject.com for more information and to contact us. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it with other sports fans you know and invite them to give it a listen.